0: Where do you start? Where do you start with Andrew McCutcheon? Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dejan Kovacvic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Penguins in the same place that you found this. Pirates 2, Mets 1. Cutch with his 2000th career hit. Uh, rope of a single into left field off a 1-1 Carlos Carrasco slider. Really got it to 102.9 MPH on the exit velocity. Pretty much what you would have thought the cutch 2K would have been. Wonderful moment inside the stadium with nearly 27,000 there, uh, standing and roaring, and seeing the... uh, the Mets fans who were there on the first base side, not as many as usual, but there were some uh, doing the same thing. Seeing the Mets dugout stand and applaud, seeing the umpires uh, step out, forgetting all about the pitch clock for a couple of minutes. Yeah, that was something. Seeing Maria and the kids up in the box, everywhere, all over, just. Uh, a great testament to a great player and a great person. Someone I've been blessed to be covering for the better part of his 18 years since the Pirates made him their first round pick. And He was moved, too, by all of it. I asked afterward, uh, in particular, about a video that the Pirates surprised him with on the scoreboard where he got congratulatory messages from both Ben Roethlisberger and Sidney Crosby. This was what Kutch had to say on that. For me, do you just see the messages from, from Ben Roethlisberger, Sidney Crosby, those guys? Yeah, I, 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 I saw it. I was a little delayed on it because I didn't know they were doing that. Um, you know, and I kind of looked up and I saw that he was talking, so I assumed it was for <laughs> for that moment. I don't know why else he would have been talking at that time, so, uh, you know, him and, and Sid and Walker, you know, all of them to be able to say, you know, what they did. And it was, uh, you know, special, special to hear those those messages from them. And, yeah, it was a good moment, good moment uh, to, to be able to, to just, uh, yeah, cherish as much as I could at, at that time. And, yeah, it's nice. You hear that? Like everything's always so real with him. Like he could have just said, "Yeah, I appreciate the messages and everything else. I believe Ben is this. I believe Sid is that. Whatever." Instead, he he had to go through the whole thing of explaining to me how he wasn't sure that that was what it was. I think I heard some of it and whatever else you heard. This now that's just so him. It's so him. He's not capable of being any other way. And that realness, I dare say, is a legit part of what's always endeared him to Pittsburgh. I like to think of Pittsburghers as about as real as it gets. Now, maybe they think that in every city where you're from, but I find that there are a lot of phony qualities to most other cities that I visit. And here, everything's just so out there. It's right here. It's on our sleeve. It's, you know, our heart is showing for you. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. Big deal. We're just going to move on. And that that's who Kutch is. He's real. He's authentic. He's Pittsburgh. You know what else he is right now? Yeah, he's a winner. He's been a winner most of his time here. And the odds have always been against that, as I don't have to tell anybody who's listening to this show. But he was able to pull it off 2013 to fifteen in a way that even a year or two earlier, no one had thought possible. And you're talking now to somebody who covered the 105-loss team in 2010, the one that ultimately got John Russell fired. That team was about as hopeless as it got, both in terms of age, potential, everything, you name it, all it had going for it was a, Nice little infield defense, I'll give it that. A couple of nice bullpen arms and Kutch. But guess what? Kutch was enough. Kutch was enough to build on. And it only took a couple of years before you started seeing those other pieces get grafted on. And still, Kutch was the one in the middle. No matter how many good or great or formerly great or players were added to that roster, Kutch remained the guy. In fact, became the MVP by the time the Pirates made the playoffs in 2013. And now here we are, you know, a decade later. And the Pirates are... This isn't worth a parade or anything, but it's something. Hear it out. Pirates are 34 and 30. They're in first place in the National League Central Division. They've pretty much taken care of business inside the division, although there haven't been that many games. That's about to change. Nine straight coming. They've backed that up with some pretty healthy peripherals, the kind of thing that like Run Differential, for example, that point to future success, that point to what you're doing currently as not being a fluke. And they're okay in those areas. They're not great. They're probably not even very good, but they're okay. And they're okay in a division that isn't okay. But even that couldn't have been remotely expected by almost anybody. And I say almost, of course, because Kutch doesn't enter things expecting to lose or expecting to fail. Never has. Doubt that he ever will. Now, I don't want to get all super sappy and caught up in the moment and try to convince you that everything that's happened positive for the Pirates this season is because of Kutch. It isn't. Kutch isn't the reason that Mitch Keller's pitching the way he did again yesterday. Cutch isn't the reason that David Bednar was able to slam down his 14th save yesterday with the most devastating knee-breaking curveball to finish the game. Kutch isn't the reason Jack Swinski's got 13 bombs, including the one he hit yesterday. Kutch isn't the reason that K- Brian Hayes is hitting like a maniac all of a sudden and turned in some of the best defense you'll ever see yesterday. Kutch isn't the reason that Brian Reynolds became da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You get it. But Kutch is the one that pushes the process forward. Kutch is the the one they look to in that clubhouse, that they think to themselves, we're about to go into this stadium or that stadium, and we believe not only that we can win this game or win this series, but that we should win this game or win this series. He's something. I I, I don't know exactly how I would begin to uh, qualify his Hall of Fame status might be another subject for another day on this show. But I do know that there are intangibles that should always be in play for every serious candidate for Cooper Sound. And Kutch just oozes those when we come back, J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street. today's j1q comes from Durbo, who says growing up in the 70s i despised the yankees for buying their team i always rooted against them but to be honest i was also a little bit jealous but with the mets and some of these other teams in the recent past it doesn't bother me watching them buy their teams that's because i'd rather have that than what we've been captive under the nutting ownership here. I'd rather that ownership really wants to win. Durbo, I'm going to go relatively easy on you today because I'm also going to point out to everybody that you sent this just before this three-game series started. And also because your sentiment is so commonly expressed That I've no doubt that it represents the thoughts and the beliefs of a lot of the people listening to this show. And no, I'm not going to come back at you with the Pirates took two of three, and the Pirates' payroll is like 70 million, and the Mets is at 364 million. That stuff can always happen. There's always a Tampa Bay Rays, there's always somebody that isn't spending much but just happens to put things together. And at the same time, there's always a team that grossly overpays and underperforms. And that's what the Mets are right now. It's probably what the Mets are going to remain for the rest of this summer. That's not going to be my point here. My point's going to be something else. The change of heart that you yourself describe That you had at one point where you hated the Yankees because they bought their teams, but you started liking the Mets because they spent. I'm not going to tell you that you're unduly influenced by national baseball media or whatever it is, but I am at least going to feel comfortable asking you how much of that stuff you digest because that's right in their wheelhouse, my friend. That's the narrative that the ESPNs and the other national outlets have put forth, especially during labor strife. They never, ever, ever, ever mention that the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and a handful of other teams are guilty of throwing payrolls and payroll structure and free agency and salary structures Way out of whack. Why? Because they're based in those markets. And even if they're not homers, you are a product to an extent of where you live. These reporters, these analysts, live for the most part in these markets. So around them are a bunch of happy fans who are really intensely engaged in baseball. So they think to themselves, everything's fine. What's everybody else's problem? So you'll hear from the occasional person in a Pittsburgh or a Kansas City or a Cincinnati, and you'll just think, whatever, they're the ones with the cheapo owners. And they'll only ever weigh that factor as being significant. I'm here not at all as a representative of some happy middle, because I'm not. I'm in Pittsburgh, where it's incredibly difficult to get people interested in baseball. It takes something like the return of Kutch, uh, a season that nobody had expected, a really down division. It takes something like that to move the needle here. It's extraordinary. But the real problem is, isn't that one is heroic and the other one is a demon from hell. It's the disparity itself. Does Steve Cohen grossly overspend on the Mets? Yes, of course he does. Does Bob Nutting underspend on the Pirates? Yes, of course he does. The problem is the ability that any team has, well teams with means, obviously, to create this absurd disparity that exists in no other sport. Have you noticed, by the way, and this is for all of you, not just Durbo, that there's been a bit of a sentiment, a little bit of a change with some of the national... Yeah, you have, huh? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm feeling the nodding of a lot of heads as I say that. But when you see like a Buster Olney from ESPN... All of a sudden, using the word salary cap in his articles. When you see a couple others, uh, Evan Drellich is another. These are people who covered the labor negotiations, the recent ones, and did so one billion percent on the union side. No cap. No, okay, you can't even you couldn't even bring up the word cap. Remember? Now all of a sudden, it's kind of coming about. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because the Mets are now going to be stuck with a gazillion dollars in potentially bad contracts. Maybe it's because they look at teams like the Dodgers and the Angels over in L.A., each in their own way, not having very encouraging futures. Despite having spent a ton of money and despite having some of them legitimately most talented players on the planet, my goodness, especially in Anaheim. How do you have Mike Trout and Shoei Otani and never win a thing? So just just watch, just watch. A lot of this might start turning because what will end up happening is the Cohens of the world will kind of come down to earth and they'll say, listen, I mean, I just took my team into Pittsburgh and I got my rear end kicked. And they spent one-fifth of what I'm spending here. Why am I the dummy? I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.